BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Lou Dobbs here, and welcome to The Great America Show. We're all about defending truth, justice, and the American way here, and I know you are as well. Welcome to the show. You'll be pleased to know that President Biden is raising taxes. Biden says mostly on billionaires, so we don't have to worry too much. And he promises people making less than 400 grand a year won't pay a penny more in taxes. Do you believe him? Sure you do. This from a president whose inflationary policies and outlandish, unprecedented spending has produced the highest rate of inflation in 40 years, has driven prices up to the point that many Americans are living week to week, paycheck to paycheck. And Biden has ordered up a new regulation to meddle in Americans' 401k retirement plans, allowing fund managers to consider ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance, political choices in choosing investments rather than maximize returns for investors. The Senate passed a bill to block Biden's ESG rule, but the president promises to veto it. The puppet president means to destroy this country and our middle class. He is a destroyer. A public research university in Florida has adopted a radical DEI program. DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? But it's a Marxist program, a program that trains students in left-wing protest tactics that condemns America as a nation of white supremacy, separates students by race, and teaches students about white oppression. Now, when will... Florida taxpayers end this nonsense. When will American taxpayers end it? Hopefully before the Marxists destroy this country. And be aware, Biden wants the World Health Organization now to be in charge of our public health system during epidemics. And the WHO keeps ringing the bell, hyping diseases as fast as it can. Remember the rapidly mutating China virus this fall? That didn't work out for them. Neither did, but they tried. Neither did monkeypox, Marburg virus, or now the bird flu. But the WHO is fanning fears as a girl in Cambodia has now died from H5N1. And our Centers for Disease Control say they're ready with several vaccines and treatments if ever they're needed. Of course, if Biden has his way, they'll have to do what the WHO tells them to do. Our guest today is definitely not a globalist. In fact, he's one of the Patriot 20 who stood together to reform the 118th Congress to make it more representative, more transparent, and effective. Our guest is Congressman Andy Ogles, who represents Tennessee's 5th Congressional District, a successful businessman and entrepreneur. And Congressman, welcome. Great to have you with us. And my compliments on your principal stand in the negotiations to elect Speaker Kevin McCarthy. You have made a great difference. The Patriot 20 really served the nation. Your thoughts? 
Well, Lou, thank you for having me on the show. And, you know, and absolutely. I mean, you know, I've said this publicly. So if you look at for me, it was never about McCarthy. It was about how Congress is run, how the House of Representatives is run. And, you know, and so whether it's a game of Monopoly or a red light and green light that the children might play in the backyard, or used to at least before they had uh, iPhones and all the other stuff, um, is the rules of a game can favor a player. The rules of a game can even determine the outcome. And for too long now, the rules of the House of Representatives have been working against the people of America. The rules of the game have been essentially guaranteeing growth in government and growth in spending. And so what we stood up for, it wasn't about a person. It was about we have to have the ability to cut spending as a rank-and-file member. And what that means is, as, as I'm just a, I'm not a member of leadership. I'm a rank-and-file member. And, and so if Mark Green, a fellow Tennessean, a congressman, he's chairman of Homeland Security, if he had been running for speaker, I would have wanted the same rules changes. If Jim Jordan, a friend of mine, had, had wanted to be speaker, I still would have wanted the same rules changes. And so that was that was what we were fighting for. And, you know, we can get into the specifics, if you'd like, on some of those substantive changes. But what, what the, the true winners here uh, in this was the American people. Absolutely. And again, uh, my uh, compliments. Uh, for taking a firm position on those uh, those opportunities to make sure that there's greater transparency, greater representation across all of the committees, uh, including uh, the Rules Committee, uh, the most powerful committees uh, in Congress, whether it's uh, Ways and Means, uh, the uh, the Judiciary Committee, uh, or the Oversight Committee. This, this was a very important moment in history, and I think everyone. Uh, was delighted to see Republicans show a pulse and great passion about things that matter to the American people. So again, my congratulations. Let's let's turn to uh, <laughs> you get to, you get to Congress. Uh, you're underway, uh, and uh, the next thing, Rachel Maddow takes an interest in you uh, and starts talking about your resume and uh, uh, and the, the fact that you were uh, mistaken about your major in in college. And you would have thought that that was a really big deal. Uh, your thoughts about that? To be clear, I, I, I wasn't mistaken about my major, uh, but, but long story short, and this is one of those, you know, I come from a working class family. I was the, the first person in my family to go to college. I was not the first to graduate. So in, in my senior year of college, uh, I dropped out and I helped support my mom and uh, my three brothers. And uh, she actually, she just had her GED. She went on uh, to, to, uh, to get college courses, the remedial courses. She went to college. She graduated, became an occupational therapist and started her own business. And so as the eldest son, I did what an eldest uh, son should do. It's biblical. Uh, I put my family first. And so I, all I lacked was my, my last semester of college. And so back then, you didn't have online learning. Some colleges, not all, would have a distance learning department. And so this literally was done over the phone and by way of email. And so I uh, contacted the university and said, I've got about a semester to go. I'd like to finish my degree. They said, take these four courses and write your senior paper and you graduate. I did that. Uh, and they, about two, maybe three months later, they mailed me my diploma. I've got it here in my office. Uh, it says Bachelor of Science on it. I, I, I've never questioned it. I've never looked at it. It's been in my safe. I only got it out because of these questions. 
Well, it turns out uh, that at that time they they did not issue uh, my uh, my full diploma of political science and English and all that. They did a broader degree. I'm okay with that because I, I really I did this for my children. At the point at which I went back to college, I had already been successful. I wanted to show my children that as a poor kid from a poor poor family that I could overcome adversity, that I was going to finish what my start, and I was not going to let uh, the system or anything get me down. All I needed was 12 hours in my senior project, right? And so I did this for her because we had a baby girl at the time. And so for me, this is all nonsense. And, and it should be noted, going back to our first topic, is that I stood up and I had the courage to say enough is enough and now I'm a target. So it, it, that being said, we have a country to run. We have a border that has 300,000 people coming across it every single month. We have the Chinese flying balloons over I, our airspace, right? Well, yes, we do. And uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to put that out there. And, <laughs> and, and the fact of, of the matter well, is, uh, well, let, let, well, let me just say, I, what I hear you saying is what most of us said. Give me the damn degree. I don't care what it says on the rest of it. And uh, and by the way, talking about you being an economist or whatever, let's let's be really clear. Even the left, as brilliant as they are, they don't make economists with four year degrees. If you if you have your degree in economics uh, from a from a college and four years school, you're not an economist. That's that's reserved for PhDs, and that's it. I think the most frustrating part about all of this is that we have an administration that's dysfunctional. We have a, bo a border that's for us. And, and when we're talking about these side issues, look, the, the last decade, the last 15 years of my career, uh, there's a body of work there that you, can, it, that you can examine. You either like it or you don't. So let's go to the issues before us, and that is China, uh, the Financial Services Committee, the bills that you passed. I want to get first to the China Select Committee, Mike Gallagher, the, Gallagher, the chairman, uh, saying that we have to act with urgency. I couldn't agree with him more, and the House obviously is doing just that. Uh, I do, at the same time, wonder why in the world we're talking about strategic competition when what we're talking about is geopolitical conflict uh, and the way in which this country responds to losing uh, at least $600 billion in intellectual property every year to the communist Chinese. Uh, the the fact that we are absolutely overwhelmed by uh, the insinuation of Chinese nationals into our colleges, our, our corporates, uh, corporations, and uh, science laboratories all over the country. And by the way, balloons that fly over us uh, almost at will, <laughs> apparently. Your thoughts, and uh, this is really about the conflict that exists between the two nations now, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I think that that is uh, an important point, uh, the, the, the very fact that we are at conflict. We have an adversary in China. And so, you know, we're talking about China, but I'm going to bring in COVID and I'm going to bring in fentanyl. We now know that the, the COVID virus was not inadvertently leaked from a lab. Uh, you just had one of their scientists say, given the protocols in place, even in China, it would be near impossible for it to leak accidentally. But, but let's set that aside for a moment. We now know it came from China. We now know that they try to cover it up. We now know by lack of communication and reaction, notifying their partners around the globe, they let this thing spread. Why? I believe 
because they wanted to see if it would cripple our economy. Would it bring us to our knees? They did a pretty well, good job. You don't think that that was think... an intentional act by COVID. I agree, I agree with you entirely. And by the way, there is, you know, and we now know, I think when we say we, and we're talking about the American people, the American people knew that this was an intentional act on the part of the Chinese. They knew the damn virus came from Wuhan because that's where the virology lab was. And the fact that the the, the uh, cognoscenti, uh, the elites of our federal bureaucracy are now confirming that it really doesn't mean much uh, because the American people are pretty tough to fool. And what we have to deal with now is that a million Americans died because Xi Jinping refused to warn uh, the American people and in fact took affirmative actions to make sure that virus did spread and the United States has not responded uh, to what was actually an act of war. Right. Well, then, so so we know we have a direct attack from China by way of COVID, asymmetric warfare. And so now you look at the Sentinel crisis and you look at our southern border. Okay. You know, uh, over, the, over the last five months, they seized enough Sentinel to kill 100 million Americans. Think about that for a minute. Roughly a third of our country, if that was unleashed on our streets, could potentially be dead. So they unleash a deadly virus. They're poisoning our, our kids and our inner cities with fentanyl. Uh, e even now, you've got to be careful. I mean, this was, what, maybe two months ago, give or take. There, there was a middle school uh, teacher who confiscated a bag of what looked like sweet tarts from a student. And apparently he sniffed it to see if, in fact, it was candy or was it drugs, and he overdosed on fentanyl a secondary inhalation by simply doing his job and trying to protect the students at that school. Ladies and gentlemen, they're intentionally supplying the, the Mexican cartels with, with fentanyl precursors and the agents that are poisoning our kids. And, and so there was a time 10, 15, 20 years ago when you thought about immigration and, and the border crisis, you, well, that's, that's New Mexico or Arizona or Texas, right? It's their problem. Every small town in America is now a border town because fentanyl has swept this country and it's killing our kids. Every town in America right now is collateral. It knows that they are collateral damage to everything that the, the communist Chinese are doing. And I'm saying communist because I want everyone on this and, and this, <laughs> this audience, believe me, knows my feelings about uh, what is happening in China uh, and what they are doing. But explicitly and fundamentally, uh, I, have, I have a very big issue with the language the Republican Party has chosen here, because this is the stuff of the left, to play games with language, because if you control language, you control thought, and you control thought, you control the issue. And for them to t refer to, the, to, uh, to China as a competitor, an adversary, I, I want to be very clear how I feel, Congressman, and I want to remind the audience, China is our damn enemy. And it's that simple. Yeah. And if we don't have, you know, I watched this under the Bush administration because of uh, ethno, uh, ethnic uh, and religious sensibilities overwrought in the White House under George W. Bush. They didn't want to call the enemy radical Islamists, which is what they were and are. The fact of the matter is, when you don't have the guts to name your enemy, you don't have the guts to go kill your enemy and stop them cold from injuring the nation. And that's what we've got to get to. 
And there got to be, and I realize it's going to take some time for some people in Washington, D.C. to mature, no matter the fact that they've got the best of instincts uh, and purpose here. But either we grow up and understand that we're contending with enemies. Russia right now is an enemy. The, the People's Republic of China is participating, is an accomplice in the murder of 100,000 Americans every year and killed one million Americans. Are we going to, why would we not confront those realities? We are grown uh, men and women in this country, and it's time to get through with the nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and so let's assume for a moment that maybe not all your listeners are convinced that China is an enemy. I think they are. Um, I think your listeners know they are. But so you've got the fentanyl that they, we know that, that, that they're intentionally poisoning our kids and our communities with. We have the COVID virus. We know that they intentionally let spread around the globe and try to hide it as long as possible. And then you have this balloon that at first we were told it was a weather balloon. It was a benign weather balloon that blew off course. Oh, wait, there's more. They find one in South America. And so then as the media starts reporting, we find this thing is like, you know, two stories tall. It's two or three buses wide. It, you know, apparently it can move or some, some nonsense. And, and so, oh, by the way, it is a spy balloon. And, and so, and the only reason why this administration took action is because the American people were outraged. This was embarrassing. Whether you're a member of Congress or you're, you're a teacher or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a doctor, it doesn't matter. Americans were outraged. And this just speaks to this administration and their feckless leadership. I mean, the, the global, the global uh, leaders are, are looking at us and wondering, are we still the, the same United States? You know, you didn't have these problems under Trump. You know, you didn't have Putin marching across or trying to march across Europe. You didn't have China making such aggressive postures towards Taiwan. Why? Because they knew we were strong. It matters who leads. It matters who's at the top. Biden is not truly leading this nation. I think one could even argue he's not even really running the country, but that's a whole separate conversation. And so our enemies are on the move. And if we were in their position, we would do the same thing. Because right now, under this leadership, under this administration, we are perceived as weak. I would argue we're not weak. We just have weak leadership. We have just weak leadership, as you say. And, and there is no question. This president is impaired. He is a puppet of the Marxist uh, faction of the Democrat Party, which is now a huge proportion of the Democrat Party. And we have to come to terms uh, that with this, this puppet president and the Marxist policies that are being followed, we are watching de facto the third term of Barack Obama as president of the United States. There's a reason we haven't heard from this man. He can't be found anywhere. He's not engaged. He missed Black History Month for crying out loud. Uh, where was he? What is so important that uh, he has to hide out? Because big questions now are arising about the character uh, and the motives of this administration fully compromised. And there is not. How in the world does one explain this president drawing down uh, almost half of the strategic petroleum reserves while trying to kill fossil fuel? Does that not sound to you like a purposeful effort to absolutely uh, hamstring this country and in and stop our, our ability to be mobile, to move uh, back and forth, and to see uh, whether or not they can destroy the economy. It's 55% of this economy that depends on fossil fuels. That's right. 
Well, I mean, you know, we're not going to see, uh, you know, true uh, inflationary and recessionary pressures fully ebb or, or, you know, go away, if you will, until we get back to energy independence. Everything in this economy runs on fossil fuels. Uh, the turbines that go on the windmills are made with fossil fuels. I mean, the batteries uh, that power the electric cars are made with fossil fuels. So even your green energy is dependent on oil and gas. I mean, it's, it's, it, when you look at the carbon footprint that goes into the production of green energy, it's, it's kind of hilarious. And so look, uh, we should be, uh, if for no other reason, for national security reasons, we should be energy independent. If that's natural gas, then fine. If that's oil, uh, and, and, you know, petroleum products, fine. If it's nuclear, fine. We have an obligation to our country and to our sovereignty to be energy independent and to not be reliant on our enemies, like we are when it comes to green energy and rare earth metals in China. Absolutely. And I, I want to turn to Janet Yellen for crying out loud, the Treasury Secretary in, in Ukraine telling Zelensky uh, that in her judgment, the U.S. taxpayer has a moral obligation to pay for Ukraine as, for as long as it takes. I, I, I'm just on to hear a U.S. Treasury Secretary talking about Ukraine again, when in point of fact, her responsibility should be right now to an ailing economy, uh, to a financial system that is under significant stress and should be here trying to restore prosperity, trying to uh, rescue people from the, the immense damages and injuries from uh, high inflation, the highest inflation in, uh, in 40 years. Well, again, to your point, you know, this is not her lane. Uh, this, there, are, there are people uh, in this administration who are tasked with that responsibility. Uh, she is the Secretary of the Treasury. She has a job to do. Uh, I would argue she's not doing a very good job at it, but that's, again, a conversation for another day. But I would much prefer to see my Secretary here in the United States figuring out how we're going to defeat the inflation, how we're going to have a soft landing when it comes to recession, and how we're going to turn this economy around. But the problem is, is the answers to those questions are fundamentally go against the agenda that this administration has. They want us on our knees. They want us bowing down to the elites in Europe. I will not do it. I will not comply. This is the United States of America. And going back to the Patriot 20 that stood up and fought for the rules in the House of Representatives so our country could have better outcomes, I will fight and fight for this country as a member of the House of Representatives to my, my last breath because this is the greatest nation on earth and we, we have a right and an obligation to fight for our children's future. And that is exactly what's at stake and what this nation will be uh, in, in the future. But right now, the real issue for this country is an ex existential one. What in the world are we going to do about a government that is uh, fighting its, uh, its citizens every day, that is weaponized against those citizens, whether it's the Department of Justice, whether it is the FBI, uh, the U.S. military can't find recruits because they are a woke institution now rather than a fighting, uh, a fighting corps. Uh, our military readiness is at is at, is in ebb, and we can't afford it because we are we're facing two nuclear superpowers and soon to be perhaps a third uh, in Iran. Uh, and I consider North Korea to just simply be a satellite of uh, communist China. Your, your thoughts? That's right. 
Oh, I, I totally agree. When you look at military uh, preparedness and, and readiness, and, uh, and again, I think there's some question as to when you look at the armaments that have been sent to Ukraine, uh, what is the what is the plan uh, to to replenish those defensive uh, weapon systems? Right now, I don't really see one. Uh, I don't know why that our defense uh, industry isn't running 24/7 to try to you know some some of these armaments uh, take a long period of time to make. I mean, this isn't a donut that you just make overnight, right? They're complex systems. They cost a lot of money. They take take time. You have to have supply chains that ramp up. So it's not like you can just turn it on and suddenly you've got all these new missiles or stingers or whatever else out there on the shelf. Like it takes time to ramp up that production. Meanwhile, we're depleting our own supplies, our own reserves. And so again, like most every issue with this administration, they don't have a plan. They have an agenda but they don't have a plan to see us through these controversies or quite frankly, through these crises. And so it's concerning to me as a member of Congress. And I will say that when you look at 2022, you're seeing the groundwork being laid by both sides of what, what's at stake in the 2024 election. We have to maintain the House. We have to win the Senate. And ideally we have to win the White House. And I fear if we don't, if we don't win all three, that the future of this nation is at stake. We've certainly got to keep the House. We certainly have to win the Senate, but we've got to have the right candidate who can win the White House and can lead us out of this mess. Uh, look, I think the road ahead over the next year and a half is going to be bumpy. I think it might get worse before it gets better, but this is America. We will prevail. We've seen tough times before, but this is where you, the listener, have to get engaged. You have to make sure that your representatives, whether it's on the school board or the state house or the state senate or your member of Congress, they need to hear from you. And they need to hear that you are expecting the America of your grandparents and of our founding fathers, not the, the, the America of Joe Biden. Well said, and that, that America is changing rapidly. We just, we have a report uh, here that migrant apprehensions at the southern border have hit the lowest point in two years. This at a time, which is typical, by the way, of a, a, at least a small decline in January, as you know, Congressman, but the the reality there is that we have somewhere between four to six million new people leaving, living in the United States in the course of only two years under the Biden administration. Well, in just fiscal year 2022, we had 2.37 million border crossings. And so, like you said, I mean, that, you know, roughly two and a half million people crossed into our country in one year, 300,000 on average now a month. I mean, when I, when I look at, you know, prior to being a congressman, I was a county executive slash county mayor. Some states call them county judges, but I essentially was the elected CEO of my county, uh, you know, I have a county of 100,000 people. So every month, the population three times of my home community is moving into this country unabated, most of them needing some sort of social services, which, by the way, you and I pay for. And so uh, this is not sustainable. There is no way that we as a country can absorb that many people. And look, you know, this may sound harsh, but this is our country. Right? We get to choose who comes in and, and who gets to come in in 2023 may be different than who gets to come in in 2024 and 2025 based on our own needs. So this idea that somehow America is held to a different standard than the rest of the world, by the way, no one else in the world has, uh, you know, border 
lack of border security in the way we do, unless you're going to some sub-Saharan African country that is a third world country. But when you look at Europe, when you look at Mexico, when you look at Canada, their, their border security, their laws are far stricter than ours, but yet because we're America, land of the free, you know, we are criticized because we don't want to just let everybody into this nation. But what you got to realize, the same people that are calling us names want to see us destroyed. Yeah. And so say, this is our country. Yeah, and, and that's a great point you're making. Uh, and by the way, any American who has to apologize for saying it's our country, do you think that uh, anyone in China apologizes for uh, their border security? Uh, Xi Jinping is embarrassed to say, you know, this is our country. No, he's talking about that country and its future, and he is moving that country forward in his vision uh, of how to get there and what it should like uh, should look like. And by the way, that doesn't include much, uh, much of the United States. We are, in the view of the Chinese, a declining power. And every day, you know what? We prove the point to the Chinese uh, when they listen to Joe Biden, uh, basically obsequious to uh, Xi Jinping uh, and everything that is Chinese and policy and purpose. We are uh, at a heck of a point here. Uh, and we have to say, you know, we and I and I got and I think, by the way, Mike Gallagher is a great uh, congressman, a terrific, uh, a terrific foreign policy expert. Uh, but he, when he has to say, you know, this is all about the Chinese government, not the Chinese people. Well, of course it is. Why do we as Americans have to say idiotic things like that? We're talking about the Chinese government. We're talking about Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. You know, the fact that we didn't like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that we don't like communism. And we don't like what they're doing to the country. I mean, I have no apology to make for being very resentful of China and uh, and angrily so for killing Americans. And I'm angry with my own country for sitting here and sucking on our thumbs instead of responding. How much, what will it take for this country to strategize and to understand that the time to be bowing to the left and to the phony uh, nonsense of the CRT ESG left is over. We're Americans, and we de we have to start acting like it. We well, all and I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know. Obviously, we don't have the Senate, we don't have the White House, but I think legislatively in the House of Representatives, we have to put forth good policy. That, that start signaling to the American people that here are the problems, here are the solutions, here's the way forward. Uh, unfortunately, most good policy is not going to be enacted until we win the Senate, until we win the White House. So again, 2024 is going to be critical. We have to start having those conversations today uh, on what the solutions for America uh, are going to be and, and what's the way forward. But like you said, no one should have to apologize for being patriotic. No one should apologize because we're acknowledging the fact that China is trying to destroy us. No one should apologize for acknowledging the fact that Russia, Russia is literally on the mark. They want to see Ukraine fall. They want to take Belarus. They want to restore the old USSR. That's a fact. And so there's no reason why you, I, or anyone else should be apologizing for it. And yes, the Russian people are good people, but the regimes are out to displace the United States of America as the sole world power. And by George, they're doing a quite effective job at it. And by the way, this administration is doing, going a long way to help them. Yeah, without question. Uh, 
We always give our guests the last word, Congressman. We appreciate you being here, uh, enjoyed our talk, and hope you'll come back soon. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, your concluding thoughts, if you would. Well, I would just encourage people uh, to not be discouraged. You know, when I think about the problems we're facing today, put yourselves in the shoes of our founding fathers, where, where they were having to fight against a global world power in Britain, where they literally were putting their lives, their fortunes, the lives of their families, their wives and their children at stake. And they stood up and they did the right thing for the right reasons. We as Americans, we have to get our courage back. We have to be willing to stand up and do the right thing for the right reasons. And yes, you're going to be attacked for it. Yes, you're going to have a target on your back. Yes, they may pick apart your life, but you know what? That is the price of freedom. I'm up here fighting for the future of my children and my grandchildren. And if I don't do this, if you don't join me and other patriots in doing this, then whatever happens next is our fault. And frankly, that choice is not an option for, for good patriotic Americans, as you well know. Okay. Congressman, it's great to have you with us. We thank you so much, and we, we wish you continued great success in the 118th Congress. Thank you for being with us. God bless and thank you. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. And here tomorrow will be our guest, Greg Kelly, host of Greg Kelly Reports on Newsmax, author of his new book, Justice for All. Join us here tomorrow. Until then, God bless you and God bless America.